0: We're reading from Genesis chapter 8, verses 10 through 22, and this is about Jacob's dream. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of his word.
1: Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. What a great blessing and incredible joy it is for us to be together today in Christ's name. Father, we give you thanks for your uh, marvelous grace and your uh, limitless generosity. We pray that our thoughts, our hearts, our motivations are all aligned with you. We ask that our worship be pleasing to you. I pray this morning that your gospel will be clear to every mind and heart hearing my voice. May your spirit search us completely, expose our sin wholly, and empower our repentance. Your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us. Father, this gives us hope and offers us true peace, for which we are sincerely thankful We rejoice in the many ways you have worked in our lives in recent days. You have provided for our needs. You have given healing and renewal. You have used unimagined technology and expertise to elevate the quality of our lives. Most of all, your gospel makes it possible for us to know your presence. Your gospel gives our lives meaning and a glorious future beyond this present world. We pray for the families who have gone out from our midst, who have been sent out from Milton Community Church to take the gospel to the world, for the D family in Europe and the S family in Central Asia and the F family preparing for their assignment in West Africa. We pray especially for the F family today that you would, Lord, uh, facilitate their language learning, that you would... Uh, make a priority within their daily living for uh, their devotion and worship of you, for their home life, for their children, and their marriage relationship. That, Lord, you would be over all and in all and bring unity and genuine love and discipleship together. And for the many ministry opportunities, we pray that you would make those clear uh, in their surrounding area and that you would use them, Lord, to speak boldly for Christ wherever you give the opportunity. We pray uh, for church plants in our area and for revitalizations, Lord, for Morningside uh, in downtown Atlanta and for Trinity over in the Kennesaw area and Antioch in Jackson County, and for their leaders. We lift them up to you and pray that you would give guidance and wisdom and blessing, that you would help them, Lord, be truly a a light on a hill in those communities uh, for your glory, for your honor. And we pray for our many sister churches uh, in the area who are like-minded and devoted to gospel preaching and are seeking to be faithful in serving you and in worshiping you. We pray your blessing upon them and their leaders today as they gather. And we pray that, Lord, those who would stand and speak the gospel, that you will empower them in uh, incredible ways today and that your spirit might move. Lord, I pray that you'll give us all ears to hear your voice this morning. I have nothing worthwhile to say out of my own intellect or experience. We desperately need to hear from you. So we pray that you would stir our hearts that you would inflame our passions, that we might live for you, and that we might be faithful in sharing your gospel as we go. Father, thank you for your provisions. Make us generous to give as you have given. Use our abilities and talents, our time, and the financial resources that you've entrusted to us. Lord, to make much of your name, wherever we might go, and we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in Genesis chapter 28, last week we saw that Isaac's home was a a mess, a spiritual mess, Uh, lots of uh, problems, dysfunction. Abounding there, Isaac and Esau attempted to uh, run a covert plan that contradicted God's design and plan for Isaac's family. Rebekah discovered their plot and she hatched her own secret operation with the help of Jacob. And the result was embarrassment for Isaac, <clears throat> rage for Esau, danger for Jacob. And we see Rebecca proving to be a conniving and unsubmissive spirit. Jacob lived down to his name as deceiver and liar. And the family indeed was fractured and would never be all together again. That's something that should haunt all of us, right? We never know when's the last moment, when's the last time that we're together as family even as a church family. We never know when's the last moment that we will be together and how we should desire that God be honored and glorified in all of our moments together. So this family was fractured, would not be together again. Jacob was under a death sentence because Esau promised to kill him. As soon as their father was dead, which ironically was going to be some time, but uh, since Isaac had initiated this giving of the blessing, he thought he was dying soon, but he was going to live another 40 years. So Esau was livid at Jacob for stealing not only his birthright, but his blessing, and he threatened to kill him, which led to our first point this morning, the first thing I want us to think about, and that is Jacob's exile, Jacob's exile, he departed from his parental home in Beersheba, and he headed to Haran. Haran, H-A-R-A-N, sounds like Haran, it's Haran. And uh, Terah, who was the father of Abraham, you may remember, settled there. They began from Ur, which was down in modern-day Iraq, and they made their way in this big arc up through southern, what is southern Turkey, and came down Uh, on the eastern side of the Mediterranean there, in what we know as Israel, or to them was the Promised Land. God had sent this family, and when they got to Haran, which was in southern Turkey, that's where Terah settled, and his family with him. Abraham and Sarah would follow God on into the Promised Land later. But now we see that Jacob, Abraham's grandson, is making his way back to Haran, making his way back to where Terah had settled the family. And so it makes us question, is this the end of the promise? Is this the end of the promised land that Jacob's now leaving? The enemy has worked, apparently, in this family, and maybe has cost them this legacy. We'll answer that in just a moment. But this exile reminds me of other exiles in Scripture. The first exile was when? The Garden of Eden. Right. Adam and Eve sinned, and God, rather than leave them there and run the risk of them eating from the tree of life while being in this perpetual state of sin, He made them leave the garden and He put a cherubim there with a sword to guard its entrance. And so Adam and Eve were exiled from God's presence, essentially. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and exiled from the family property and from the family, essentially. And he ended up in Egypt, which was used to bring Israel, which was first befriended by Egypt, but later became in bondage, enslaved to Egypt. And so they were exiled. They were in exile from uh, God's place and God's plan for them. And then we're all most acquainted with the Babylonian exile when the nation was overrun by Assyria and then by Babylonia. And the best of the best were uh, taken out of the country and they were taken to Babylon. And there they were put in service to the Babylonians. So those are the primary Instances of exile where someone is outside of where they should be. Someone has been uh, ostracized, if you would. And so we know that that portrays all of us as all humanity is in exile from God's holy presence because of sin. It makes us outcasts from God. So Jacob is on his way back to Haran. He's back, going back to Haran because... His brothers threaten to kill him, and his mother doesn't want him to take a wife from the, from the people there, the foreigners, the aliens in the area. But she wants him to go back to her people, back to their people, and find a wife, and also thinking that this will give Esau time to cool off. She thinks it's going to be a few weeks, a month or two, or something, and it'll be all over, but she never gets to see Jacob again. This is, this is the last time that they are together. She will die before he returns some 20 years later. So a 20-year exile for Jacob begins. He's all alone. There's no mention of anyone going with him. He's all alone. And The thoughts and the ideas and concerns that must have been plaguing his heart and mind, we don't have any insight into those either. But the scripture says he came to a certain place. Now this was an important place because it's mentioned three times. The place, that place, this place. And there he camped and he laid down to rest. He laid down to sleep. So we see Jacob's exile. He's... Outside of where God wanted the long-term uh, plan for the people of Abraham, his descendants to be the promised land, and uh, he goes to sleep, and then we see Jacob's dream. Jacob has a dream. There have been songs, there have been poems, all kinds of things written about Jacob's dream. So let's see, what did he see? He saw something in his dream. He saw a ladder reaching from earth earth. To heaven, a ladder reaching from earth to heaven, with angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Now, what does this mean? What does this tell us? Well, I think to cut right to the chase, it tells us that God is not disconnected from His broken creation and fallen creatures. He still uh, is interested in them. He's still working among them. He's sending angels back and forth to do his bidding, but to remind Jacob that God has not forsaken his people, even though they, you can make the case, they have forsaken God. There's something interesting that takes place here, and you may remember this or not, but Jesus in John chapter one, you remember he encounters a man named Nathanael. You remember that episode? Jesus uh, finds Nathanael and he says, Behold, an uh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathan is like, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they have this little interaction. But listen to what happens there. Listen to what Jesus says. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said that I knew you, under the fig tree, or saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, now listen carefully, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on what? The son of man, the son of man. So if we go back and look at this dream this vision that God has given to Jacob what's he saying here God is not disconnected from his fallen creation but he has a plan he has a plan in fact I would go so far as to say this is a graphic illustration of God putting the promise to Abraham in in picture form this is what he intends to do is to bless the people of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, and that he is going to bless all nations through them. So the ladder that Jacob sees is actually a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. And Jesus makes this clear that this ladder in Jacob's dream does indeed foreshadowing. So this is what he saw. Now listen to what he heard. God speaks to him in this dream very emphatically, very clearly. He tells him five things. I'm going to move through these quickly. So listen quickly. First of all, he says, what? I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. This is his covenant name. He reminds Jacob of his promises. Jacob is in the promised land. He's a descendant of Abraham, and he's a part of the promise that God has given to Abraham. There's much more at stake here than a family squabble or a wife for Jacob. God's plan is at stake. The second thing he says, he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. Jacob is alone in this moment. Have you been alone somewhere? Have you been in peril or at risk somewhere and been alone? There's nothing like being alone and knowing that uh, you have opposition or you have uh, people who are hostile to you. That, that loneliness is deeper than any other loneliness. And here he is all alone. And yet, God says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. Jacob is alone, but God says, I have cared for your family. I've taken care of your grandfather, I've taken care of your father. I'm taking care of you. He's going to continue to care for his family. Thirdly, he says this land, this land where you are that you're about to depart from will belong to your descendants. So, the promised land is not lost. You've messed up, Jacob. And there's been a fragmented relationship at home. Dysfunction has taken over and it looks like everything's coming unraveled. But listen, my promise is going to endure. My promise will endure. This land will belong to your descendants. Fourthly, your descendants will be numerous. Like the dust, like the stars in the sky. This is language that he used when making these promises to Abraham. And your descendants will bless the nations, will bless all the earth. And then he says something that may be the most meaningful at this particular moment in Jacob's life of any of them. He says, I am with you everywhere. I'm with you everywhere. Yes, this is a particular place. This is an important place. But this is not the only place I'm with. I'm with you everywhere everywhere. And I'm going to stay with you until I accomplish all that I've set out to accomplish. What a great encouragement for all of us that God will be with his people wherever they go, wherever they are. As God's people in Christ, there's no such thing as being alone. Isn't that good news? I said, isn't that good news? That's your cue to wake up and Listen carefully, right? Yes, that's good news. How, how often do you feel alone? How often do you think you're alone? How often does the enemy whisper in your ear that you're in this all alone, all by yourself? God says, there's no such thing as being alone. If you're in Christ, listen carefully. John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because what? Because he abides with you and will be in you. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll not leave you alone. I will come to you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you Hebrews 13 5 and 6 make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you I imagine Jacob thought that he might have been forsaken he's on the run trying to avoid his brother's anger Maybe he's starting to think about, maybe I've made a few mistakes here. Maybe I shouldn't have crossed Esau the way I did. Maybe there's some way I need to take matters into my own hands and and make some sort of restitution and try to find reconciliation. Lest I end up all alone. But God says, look, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. So that he can help confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The third thing I want you to see here this morning is Jacob's response. Okay, thinking about what he has seen and what he has heard, how does Jacob respond? It says he awakens and he is astonished. He is astonished. I don't know about you. I know that the experts say that we all dream that our brains uh, work at night when we're asleep. Uh, I'm sure mine's probably just like yours, but I never remember my dreams. I, you know, I can't remember my name half the time, Tommy, so that doesn't surprise me. But when I wake up in the morning, I don't remember dreams if I've had any. But Jacob certainly remembered. He, he awakens and he is astonished. Look what he says. Surely the Lord, Yahweh, is in this place, and I did not know it. Emotionally, he feels awe and fear. He makes a powerful connection between this place and God's holiness. Uh, We do not tend to associate God's holiness with particular locations. Some do. Some religions uh, make that. Now, some some traditional Christians may do that or have done that in the past where they associate God's presence with with the building, with the church building. But that's that's not accurate, is it? God doesn't give us sacred places necessarily. He says He is present everywhere. Maybe maybe you have a special encounter with God in a particular place, but that doesn't necessarily make the place sacred. It means what God's doing in us is sacred and special. How awesome is this place, He says. This is the house of God and the gate of heaven. Now, one thing he does recognize is he recognizes that this ladder is the gateway into heaven. And Jesus said himself, did he not, in John chapter 14, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father unless he, what? Comes through me. Unless he ascends through this ladder, through the resurrection, burial, the shedding of blood... These provide the access into the Father's holy presence. This is the house of God and the gate of heaven. He's shaken up by what he experienced. We're reminded of Isaiah's encounter with God, where I am. Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is Yahweh. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What an incredible encounter for Isaiah. And Jacob has had his own encounter with God. I don't know that it was quite as powerful as what what, uh, Isaiah at least articulates that his was, but Jacob had something that changed him forever. Jacob, the deceiver and the sinner, has had a personal encounter with Yahweh. And so, indeed, for him, this is sacred ground where heaven and earth are connected. And then he marks the spot. He marks this place with a stone that he used as a pillow that night. Now, that's what rocks are made for, right? For marking things, not for sleeping on. And so he took his pillow and turned it into a pillar. And he blessed it. He poured oil over it and consecrated it and marked the spot so he would remember What does it mean for someone to make this confession that he makes about his encounter with God? This is a true life-changing encounter with Almighty God results in changed affections and priorities. Now, up to this point, we have had no indication that Jacob had any kind of relationship with Yahweh. I mean, there's not been a lot said about him, but the way he has acted, conducted himself, there has been no evidence to suggest that Jacob had a personal relationship with Yahweh. I'm sure that the stories from Abraham have been passed down to Isaac. We didn't have much in in the way of a testimony from Isaac, but we know that those stories must have come down. But to this point, it's not become personal. They've heard about God, they've heard about the things God does, but there's not a personal relationship or walk with God. But that all changes in this moment. It all changes. A true life-changing encounter with a holy God, which results in changed affections and priorities. Things that began to characterize those who have had a life-changing encounter with God are things like we read in 1 Chronicles sixteen twenty-nine: Ascribe or give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalm 96, 9. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Jacob to this point hasn't demonstrated that. He would rather walk in the paths of wickedness and self-service than to spend time in worship to a holy God. Psalm 122, 1, the psalmist writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, this doesn't just mushroom out of his life at this juncture there's going to be a lot of growing for Jacob but this is the moment that it begins this is the moment that his life changed and so we see that evidence because of this vow that he offers that he makes this is the first vow recorded in scripture Jacob worships the Lord, and as part of the worship, he makes this vow. What do we mean by the term vow? Well, you're familiar with wedding vows, right? You made vows when you uh, united with your spouse. Those vows, something like, I take you to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for riches, for poorer, in health and in sickness." until death do us part. So what is that? Those are vows. Are those the kind of vows we make to God? A vow is a solemn, formal, earnest, grave, serious promise. We don't think about it or define it that way maybe in our culture today, but that's what it's designed to be. A formal, sober, serious promise pledge. In a few moments, Milton Community Church members will remember and rehearse our church covenant. I know. I've heard it. Some are a little bit antsy about that. Why do we have to say the covenant over and over and over? Well, I'm just going to say it this way. If in your marriage relationship you repeated those vows over and over each day, you'd be better at keeping them. You know why? Because you remind yourself of them. Reminding ourselves, rehearsing these things is important. It's important for how we think about church, how we think about our relationship with each other, because it's a summary of how we pledge to lead and live our lives in Christ together as a community. And so we regularly remind ourselves of these vows and promises so that we keep them faithfully. It's important to keep the order right here. If you read this at first blush, it sounds like Jacob is making a conditional promise. Well, if God does this and God does this and God does this, then I'll do this. He does not come to God and simply say, if you do this, I will do that. God makes the promise to be present. God makes the promise to provide. God makes the promise to protect Jacob, listening, now I remind you too, he's still very early in the faith, right? So he's got a lot to learn. So he may, have not, he may not have expressed it as well as it could have been expressed. But Jacob vows, if this is who God is, if this is who Yahweh is, if all that he has said is true and he proves this out, then he's going to be my God. That's who I want to serve. That's more, I think, in keeping with what Jacob is intending here. And it's a proper response to Yahweh, who is kind and sufficient and good and generous. His people are to emulate Him. Remember, we are created in His image. We're created to be conformed to the image of Christ. So whatever we see in Him, whatever we understand about Him, is to characterize how we live. We do this as we worship Him personally, corporately, And as we serve him, we do this as we tell others of his excellencies and his amazing grace. We do this as we give our time and our offerings generously as he has given to us. Many seem to think that they are simply entitled to God's goodness and blessings. Well, God's, he owes me this, right? He owes me something. God is worthy to be Praise to be glorified, to be served, to receive all that we are. He made us and created us to reflect His image, His glory throughout this creation. If we do not desire His honor, praise, or glory, we should carefully examine our hearts. Today, we will remember these truths as we come to the Lord's table. The bread and the wine, they symbolize the body and the blood that He gave sacrificially To reconcile us to Himself, we remember His sufferings, we remember His death, we remember His resurrection, and we remember the good news for broken sinners as we all are. The challenge is to believe the gospel, to repent of our sin, to turn from it, and to trust only in what Christ has done, only in His provision. Not in anything that we bring to the table. The only thing we bring to the equation is our sin. If you believe the gospel and you have repented of your sin and trusted only in Christ's atonement. If you are a member in good standing here at Milton Community Church or in a church where they preach the true gospel and they practice the ordinances then you may join us as we come to the table this morning. If you've not believed the gospel, you have not repented of your sin, if you have not trusted in Christ's finished work on the cross, or you're under church discipline, I would encourage you not to participate. 1 Corinthians 11 offers a stern warning to those that are not walking with the Lord in a worthy fashion. Against coming to the table, lest you put yourself in peril before the Lord. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer this morning, and I ask that you search and prepare your hearts for approaching the Lord's table in a worthy manner. After this prayer, you may come and collect the elements as we sing together. and Take them back to your seat where we will observe them together after the song. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. As we've seen with Jacob, he didn't deserve, he didn't deserve this encounter with you. He didn't deserve your forgiveness or your reconciliation. He didn't deserve your blessings. But Lord, we all are Jacob. We're all rebels. We all deserve only judgment. But your love and your grace through Christ has made a way, a gate, whereby we may approach you in assurance, in faith, in blessing. I pray for those here today who do not know you as Savior, that today would be the day when your spirit beckons and calls, that they might truly repent of sin, believe your gospel, put their trust in Christ, in Christ alone. And that today would be the day of salvation and change. That they might begin from this day forward to live a life growing and maturing in the faith, walking daily in fellowship with you. Lord, as we enter and approach your table today, search our hearts. If there be anything that would keep us from approaching your table with confidence That you bring it to our mind and may we faithfully confess it as sin and seek your forgiveness. The blood of Christ always covers sin. And you've said in your word, if we ask for your forgiveness, you are faithful to forgive indeed. And we pray this in Jesus' name.